Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Norton, and this is uh, week eight of a nine-week um, sermon series. So if you happen to be new or maybe you're just visiting with us today, um, we have done a whole bunch of work to get to this point. So I would encourage you to maybe go back and you can listen to the previous messages in the series. You can always do that on our website. But the idea that we have been talking about uh, for the last eight weeks is an idea that's found all throughout the Bible. And it's this, you are not your own. You belong to God. If you are a follower of Jesus, uh, you are not your own and you belong to God. Now, uh, in a few minutes, I want to spend most of our time simply asking a question. What does it actually mean to belong to God? What does that mean? Um, but first, I have to point out that the whole idea of belonging to anyone other than yourself is not very appealing, right? In fact, for some of us, it's, it's offensive, especially if you're new to church or you're new to faith or you're new to, uh, to Christianity. This feels problematic. And I think it's problematic for um, a couple of reasons. Uh, first, because the idea of belonging to anyone other than yourself is the opposite of freedom, independence, autonomy, and personal rights which we talked about a little bit, those are basically bedrock values in our culture, in our society. They're historical values. Uh, think about how our country was founded with what? A declaration of independence, right? Great Britain, we don't want you telling us what to do anymore. We don't want to belong to you anymore. We want to belong to ourselves. And then the next great document that comes along is the Constitution. And the Constitution was only passed and ratified when a bill of rights was added to it, a, a list of the personal rights and personal freedoms that we will all be guaranteed. And in fact, even today, uh, most political arguments are basically about personal rights and freedoms. It doesn't matter which side you are on or, or who you voted for, right? It's the same value across the spectrum and across the aisle and across all parties. It's just applied in different ways to different issues, but it's all about personal rights and freedom. And even when we think about other cultures that perhaps we look down upon or perhaps we critique or we judge or that we think are oppressive, their cultures and societies where personal rights and freedoms have been taken away. Now, I'm not making any judgments here, right? I'm not suggesting that freedom or personal rights are bad things. I'm just pointing out how embedded these values are, how much we have elevated them so that anytime any idea comes along that seems to threaten freedom, independence, autonomy, and personal rights, well, we're probably not going to be too kind towards that, that idea. In fact, we'll probably be deeply resistant to that idea. Now, uh, there's another problem, and it's this. Belonging to anyone other than yourself evokes fear of abuse and authority. And this is a really legitimate fear, is it not? Many of us have experienced people in power or systems of power that are abusive, that take advantage of people, that use people for their own benefit, right? Some of us have learned the painful lesson from our own lives not to trust anyone else to always look out for yourself because nobody else is gonna look out for you. And so we're, uh, we're skeptical of big corporations, right? Because they just wanna sell us their products and make money. 
Um, we're skeptical of, of politics because most politicians are corrupt and they just want our vote. Anyone else tired of political ads right now? Yes, one of the few downsides of living in a purple state. Um, we're skeptical of, of anyone in power, right? Because it feels like whenever you give power to anyone else, they're going to abuse it. And what's really tragic is that there's even churches and religious leaders, people who are supposed to be different, who have sometimes abused power as well. And so uh, belonging to anyone but yourself, giving up control or power over your life, over your body, over your choices, over yourself to anyone else, it's unthinkable to most of us, right? And so I want to speak just briefly to this issue as it relates to God. And I, I will be quick to say, if you have experienced abuse in your life, then what I say may not help much, and that's totally fine. But I want to suggest this, that belonging to God is different than belonging to anyone else, because God always works for our greatest good. What makes God different from anyone else is God always has our best interests in mind. He's always working towards our greatest good. And you can't say that about anybody else. Nobody else is going to work for your greatest good, right? Corporations won't. Politicians won't. Even the people we love and the people that are close to us, right? We can't trust anyone else 100% completely all the time to always be looking out for only our best interests and what is good for us. Do you know why? Because even the people that love us have their own interests and their own greatest good to look out for. And sometimes their greatest good does not align with our greatest good. And so uh, my wife Janice, it would be in my best interest uh, to let her know that I need to take a couple of weeks of vacation over the next few weeks and um, maybe go to Alaska. I'd love to spend some time by myself, do some fishing, maybe some hiking, get some rest. It's been a tough year. Um, that would be in my best interest and for my greatest good. Uh, it would be in her best interest and her greatest good for me to stay home and spend time with the family. And she actually hasn't had a lot of time to hang out with her friends. So maybe I stay home and she's the one that goes on vacation to spend time with her friends, right? Now, anyone who knows, this is kind of a silly example, but anyone who's been married knows even in a good marriage, even in a healthy marriage where there is a lot of trust, you are constantly navigating and defending and fighting for and compromising and often sacrificing your own interests and your spouse's too. And from time to time, even though they love you, they will still deeply disappoint you. Because the only person who 100% of the time has your best interests in mind and will work for your greatest good is you, and the only person who always has my best interests in mind and will work for my greatest good is always me, right? Well, not necessarily. Do I always have my best interests in mind? Am I always working for my greatest good? If I was, then I probably wouldn't have eaten all of those Oreos at the men's retreat, right? But I did. 
And if you take a look at all of my eating habits, you would say it's pretty clear that sometimes I don't have my greatest good in mind. I worry sometimes too, and that's not to my benefit. Sometimes I work too much, and I don't rest like I should. That doesn't benefit me. Sometimes I watch way too much YouTube. In fact, there's a lot of things that I still do, a lot of regrets that I still have, a lot of poor decisions that I still make that might make it quite clear that I don't always have my own best interests in mind, and I'm not always working towards my greatest good. And so author Alan Noble asks this question, where does this leave us? If we cannot trust ourselves to desire and pursue what is good for us, and we certainly cannot trust other humans to desire and pursue our good, what remains? To whom can we safely belong? To whom can we trust our existence without fear of abuse? Right? Because other people might abuse us, and the truth is we often abuse ourselves. And so he says we need to belong to someone who is perfectly able to desire our own good while also desiring their own good. Someone for whom there cannot be a conflict between our good and their good. And there's only one person that fits that description, and it's God. Only God can work for both his good, his glory, his will, his purposes, and also our good at the same exact time. There's a line in Psalm 35, and it says this, the Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servant. Think about that. To be God's servant means to belong to him. The Hebrew word there used could actually mean slave or servant, someone who belongs to God and God delights in their well-being while also being exalted, right? That means God's will and God's rule and God's good is being lived out and lifted up and being exalted at the same time that he is delighting in your good and in your well-being. There's another famous verse from the Apostle Paul. Sometimes it's overused, but it's important to mention, Paul writes, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now that does not mean that all things are good. It doesn't mean that we won't face challenges or pain or suffering in our lives. It also doesn't mean that God is the one who brings the pain and the suffering in our lives. It simply means God works in all things, even the tough things, always for our good and always at the same time for his own purposes. And so if we ask the question, what does it mean to belong to God? It means, number one, first and foremost, he is always working for our greatest good. When we belong to him, he will always be working for our greatest good. Now, uh, belonging to him means a few other things. Um, number two, it means we have identity from God. We don't have to go create it or discover it. And this is huge. We talked about this a little bit. 
When you belong to yourself, you're constantly trying to create your own identity, find your identity, discover your identity. You're asking the question, who am I and what is my core identity? And we often go through life almost like trying identities on like clothes, trying to see what's going to fit and what's going to work as if there is an identity out there that we have to discover, or maybe it's buried deep within us and we have to find some way to unlock it. And that's exhausting. But when we belong to God, we are given an identity from him. Now, there's a a very general sense that, that all people have an identity in God because all people were made by him. They were made in his image to reflect who he is. But there's also a more specific way. When we choose to follow Jesus, when we believe in his sacrifice, his life given to redeem us and to rescue us from our own pride and our own selfishness and our own sin and our own struggle to find an identity, when we believe in Jesus and follow him, when we put our faith and trust in him, God's spirit comes and it lives inside of each one of us and it awakens us to a new life. And Paul says this, when this all happens, something really powerful takes place. He says, the spirit that you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. You don't have to keep living in that fear and anxiety. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. We are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, Paul is actually using an image, something that happened in Roman culture at that time, where a Roman patriarch of a family, if he decides to adopt a slave or a servant into the family, the slave is no longer a slave. They're no longer viewed that way. In fact, their legal status has actually changed. They are now a son in the family. And in fact, they are given all of the legal rights of any sons in the family. They are made heirs to the father's family inheritance. And Paul is saying, that's like you and me. We're adopted by God. We are made his daughters. We are made his sons. And that's an identity that's given to us. We didn't have to create it. We didn't have to find it. We didn't have to manufacture it. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to accomplish it. It's just given to us. And we belong to him now. So what does it mean to belong to God? It means we have this identity from God. We don't have to go create it and discover it. It also means, number three, we have affirmation from God. We don't have to go seeking it. And this is huge because we said several weeks ago, that identity always requires external validation. It requires external affirmation from others. It's why so many of us work so hard to to be the best uh, whatever that we can be because we need others to see it and we want others to affirm it and we need others to acknowledge it and validate what we're doing. And when they don't, it's crushing. But God affirms us not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we've earned or worked hard or accomplished. He simply affirms us because we're his daughters and sons. Human parents do this. I'm guessing all of the parents up here this morning affirm and love their daughters and sons 
Not because anything of those daughters and sons have either done or accomplished at this point. They just love them because they're their daughters and sons. You know, there's two times in Scripture, in the stories of Jesus' life, the gospel accounts, there's two times where God the Father actually speaks to his son Jesus. And do you know what he says both times? This is my son. And I'm so proud of him. And I love him so much. I am so pleased with who he is simply because he's my son. And God, when you belong to him, he speaks those same words to you and to me. He says to you, you are my son. You are my daughter. And I love you so much. And I couldn't be more proud of you just because of who you are, not because of anything that you've done. You see, this sense of identity and affirmation, when we belong to ourselves, it's what we're always searching for. It's what we're always working for. It's what we're always longing for, and it's what we're never ultimately finding. Not in any deep or meaningful or lasting way. I mean, maybe in small, momentary ways. We find it in our jobs when we work really hard and someone praises us. Or we find it in an accomplishment when we've done something really good. Or we find it maybe in a romantic relationship where we finally think we found someone who will love us just for who we are. Until they don't love us anymore for who we are. But God is altogether different. We still navigate those failures and those letdowns and those doubts in life, but we do so with our identity held firmly in his loving grasp and in his loving gaze. Uh, Rowan Williams is an Anglican leader and theologian, and he said it this way. You have an identity, not because you have invented one or because you have a little hardcore of selfhood that is unchanged, but because you have a witness of who you are. What you don't understand or see, the bits of yourself you can't pull together in a convincing story are all held in a single gaze of love. You don't have to work out and finalize who you are and have been. You don't have to settle the absolute truth of your history or story. In the eyes of the presence that never goes away, all you have been and are is still present and real. It is held together in that unifying gaze. And all of that leads to another truth. What does it mean to belong to God? Number four, it means we belong to his family. And we can never be lost. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how disillusioned or disoriented we are, no matter what poor decisions we make or doubts we have, no matter how much we might feel lost, we are still in God's family. And he is holding on to us even when we don't know how to hold on to him anymore. It also means that we're part of his family together. That's why being part of a community of faith is so important. It's why we gather together like this on Sundays. Not because anyone is taking attendance. Not not because you're getting brownie points with God or anyone else. Not because every single Sunday you hear a message you like or you sing songs you like or you get something out of the worship service. 
We gather together because we're family, and that's just what families do. And we gather together as family to remind each other that we're not actually lost even when we feel lost. That Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that no matter what disappointments I had this past week or what disappointments you had this past week, no matter how exhausted or empty we feel, we are loved by God. And there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. There's one final answer to this question, what does it mean to belong to God? Number five, there are obligations but not burdens. See, belonging to God doesn't mean there are no obligations. There are. I am obligated to forgive others when they disappoint me. I am obligated to love my neighbors in the best way that I can. I am obligated to treat my body as if it's a temple where God's Holy Spirit resides, because it is. I am obligated to be a part of God's family, even when, and especially when, there are other people in the family I may not like so much. And I'm obligated to receive God's grace and forgiveness, even when I don't keep all of these obligations very well or consistently. You see, there are obligations and we're going to wrap up the series next week by talking about those a little bit more. But the obligations are not burdens. They flow out of who we were made to be as humans. They don't lead to a life of exhaustion and emptiness the way belonging to myself does. But they lead to a life of peace and purpose. And because I'm not alone in trying to keep these obligations. We have each other. We have a family that supports us. I have God's spirit living inside of me. I have a heavenly father who loves me. And I have a savior who looks at me whenever I'm tired. And he says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says when we belong to him, his burden is light and he'll give the rest we need in our souls. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> God, for those of us who need the rest that only you can provide, I pray that you would help us to seek it from you today. For those of us who struggle to know who we are or whose we are, help us to see ourselves today the way you see us as your sons and daughters. And help us to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to open our hands, to receive the love and the grace that you have to give us. We pray this in your name. Amen.